Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Friday evening, reflecting into the Gospel for Sunday, this second Sunday of Advent. I know last week, if you were with us, I, I did not get into the Gospel for the first Sunday. I was away, and so I offered up a recording on Thanksgiving and I had a kind of mind's eye towards uh, the Friday recording because ultimately when you start talking about Thanksgiving, uh, gratitude, what that looks like, you start talking about what a gift looks like. And so the point I made last week, uh, I make now that the Advent season is about uh, preparing the heart, and it's a very difficult thing to prepare the heart as we ought if we are wrapped up in this uh, consumer-saturated culture constantly thinking about the next buy. God calls us to quiet the heart, and as uh, one popular Matthew Kelly likes to say, enter the classroom of silence. So this is very important to, well, our reflection today, this evening, but also throughout uh, all of Advent. And it is Friday, so I will be discussing this second Sunday of Advent and all of the subject matter concerning this second Sunday of Advent with Debbie Rizal. So Debbie, it is great to have you with me another evening. Thank you, Joe. So, Debbie, we talk about this theme of Advent. Uh, Something else happens with Advent. We know that Advent is the beginning of a new liturgical year, a new liturgical season. And so, we spent a great deal of time engaging the Gospel of Matthew, and now we have the wonderful opportunity of reflecting into uh, the person and figure of Mark. Uh, Now, there's uh, some interesting footnotes about going from the Gospel of Matthew to the Gospel of Mark, and and how the church has always seen this. Uh, Maybe our listening audience is unaware of this, but it was not until the Second Vatican Council that we actually went through uh, the three synoptic Gospels, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, So this is one of the gifts that comes to us from Sacrosanctum Concilium, the Constitution on the Liturgy, and a very uh, popular paragraph, paragraph 51, where the Fathers in Vatican II saw the need to not only spread out Scripture over one year, but spread it out over a course of three years. So we now just don't only get bits and pieces of uh, the three Gospels, but collectively we get Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three synoptics, over the course of three years, each year uh, divided up by year A, year B, and year C. We focus in on a Gospel, of course, this Year, year B has us focusing in on the Gospel of Mark. A little interesting fact, if you go to Mass every day, and uh, including Sunday, you get 75% of all of sacred scripture over the course of three years. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Um, that is uh, opening up the breadth and the depth of sacred scripture within the context of the Mass. So that was important for Vatican II. Uh, to do that. Uh, that was a real seminal point, I think, in, in their discussion. It just wasn't all, all about the Latin Mass. <laughs> there are a lot of other <laughs> things being talked about. Um, and so, yeah, we have the opportunity, Debbie, to get into Mark. Uh, Mark is, is a very important figure 
A lot of people have come up to me and said, you know, say, Joe, well, he is he less important because he wasn't one of the apostles? No, we never have thought that way. Uh, in fact, we see him as as important as any other. And, you know, if you get into sacred scripture, you know, Peter calls him my son. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he travels with Paul. He traveled with yeah. Barnabas. In the book of Acts, we read him on some missionary endeavor endeavors with Barnabas. So, a very important figure. The theme and themes to the Gospel of Mark, certainly his humanity. No other gospel focuses in like Mark does on his humanity and at the same time emphasize his divinity. It's that great moment in Mark, I believe it is what, Mark 15, verse 39, where the Roman centurion says, truly, this man is the Son of God. It's as if his whole gospel moves towards that. That epiphany. Truly, this man, this human, is the Son of God, the, the humanity and the divinity. And so, in that confession of faith is what we move towards. And that confession of faith is certainly what lies at the heart of our faith. So, with that, Debbie, while we talk about Mark 15 39, the second Sunday of Advent has us in the opening verses of Mark. So, why don't you get us going here? So it's Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed, One mightier than I is coming after me, I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, Debbie, before we get into this gospel, I think it's important for us to first reflect briefly upon how we approach Scripture. We approach it in two senses, the literal sense and the spiritual sense, okay? The literal sense is always mindful of the historical context, simply put. The spiritual sense is constantly looking at the text in light of that principle of faith. We were talking about the humanity and the divinity. People use the language, you know, the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith. Well, is Jesus Christ. So what he does is he brings together history and faith, and we are to approach Scripture this way. Well, what does that mean? Well, first and foremost, that means that we read the biblical text. No matter what faith or denomination you belong to, you are always to read the biblical text in light of the intention of the author, which means you're always caught up in that historical sense. By way of analogy, Um, I have a sister who is a Carmelite cloistered nun. She has devoted her life to prayer and work. Um, She writes me letters, often uh, beautiful letters. Now, I can take those letters, put them in a a treasure chest, and bury those letters. And someone who is living in the house I live in today can uh, dig those up 500 years from now and be deeply moved by those letters. 
But in those letters, you will read about very specific people. These Carmelite cloistered nuns get a a great number of prayer requests. Sometimes uh, politicians come to them, politicians that come to them with very specific requests regarding the the time we live in today, right? Mm -hmm. So if you really want to appreciate the whole dynamism of my sister's letter, you're going to have to get into 2011, 2012, what was going on in the Sacramento Diocese in 2013 and, and 14. Even if you live in the year 2514, okay, that's just what you have to do to appreciate the whole letter. This is what reading scripture is about. Why do I talk about that, Debbie? Huh? This opening verse. This is Mark writing to this Mediterranean audience, and he uses the language of, of gospel, son of God. This is rich stuff. Because when his audience is reading this, let me translate this for you. Gospel is evangelion, okay? The good news. Historically speaking, if you lived in Rome, uh, you knew what the good news was all about because this was a word that figured into the Roman vocabulary. And the good news, yeah, it usually came from the Son of God, but not Jesus Christ, a man by the name of Caesar, right? Mm-hmm. He, would, he would go to the balcony and he would have an evangelion. And an evangelion is good news, but it's a saving message because Caesar was Lord, Redeemer, Savior of the world. This is how the Romans looked upon Caesar, right? So here you have Mark in his opening verse, and I dare say quite intentionally and very mm-hmm. strategically speak to the gospel, the good news Uh, that comes to us from the Son of God, a message that actually does save us and rescue us from our sin, a message that actually does transform us. And that's uh, quite important. It saves us from our sin. It rescues us from our selfishness. So again, historically speaking, once we read, you know, Debbie, uh, the biblical text in light of the intention of the author, we might have an aha moment, huh? <laughs> you know, we might be thinking to ourselves, okay, you know, Mark is doing something here. He, he wants us to see something, and he really does. You know, he, he quotes these um, prophecies from Isaiah and, and, and Malachi, these prophecies that are caught up in this language of preparation and deliverance. We're not going to get into all of the Old Testament readings right now, but collectively it was about this exodus, that came out from this time of preparation. So you have this double theme kind of converging of preparation and deliverance, preparing the heart so as to claim a new freedom, a new exodus. Beautiful. You know, and Advent for us is that time. Amen. We are being called just as the Israelites were, just as the inhabitants of Jerusalem were, being called into action. And so Advent is that time. It's that time of vigilance. Um, I was sharing with Joe earlier, you know, often we hear this is this period of waiting. And um, I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I work in a, a dermatology office and boy, if we're even 10 minutes behind, folks don't like waiting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't like waiting. Yeah. So it can almost give Advent this kind of passive kind of waiting around mm-hmm. for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think this gospel shows us, no, it's this action. They're going out to see John. They're going out 
to receive the good news, Mm -hmm. just as we're called to do today. Amen. And we need to be busy preparing the heart. And and preparing the heart, this can be done in in many different ways. Certainly, first and foremost, it starts with the, the contemplation of the readings that we're talking about now and how we are called to enter into that sacred silence so as to hear the Word of God. You know, it's interesting, Debbie, about three weeks ago, the house across the street uh, went up for sale. And the day before it went up for sale, I watched people go in and out, in and out, in and out. Mm -hmm. All of this time, around the clock, for a period of about 48 hours, really, were people in that home. And so the home went up for sale, and my wife and I went online to look at the house, what it looked like on the inside, and a funny thing happened. I've been in that house a couple of occasions, and that house looked nothing like it looks now. It has been, quote-unquote, staged, okay? uh, mm -hmm. The house has been staged because they're going to have some visitors, Mm -hmm. right? And their hope is, in staging the home, in preparing the home, that those visitors will want to stay. But they know that those visitors will only stay if they see a home that is worth staying in. Apply this analogy to Advent, and we can begin to appreciate what preparation is all about. Are we to stage our hearts? No, this isn't a superficial thing, because often staging takes place and there are some things that are intentionally swept underneath the carpet. In Mm -hmm. fact, this time of preparation is the opposite of that. But the idea here is we do need to prepare our hearts, and we do so by staging, making room, making our heart attractive for uh, the King of Kings who is going to be coming to us here in uh, three and a half weeks. And uh, yeah, so we do that and hopefully he'll stick around. (laughs) (laughs) And making room. It's exactly that. Where is he? Is there room for him Mm -hmm. to come in? Are we busy shopping and cooking and preparing and stressing and is there room? Is there room in the end of our heart? Is there mm-hmm. room? Is there room? You know, those folks have gotten rid of stuff to make room. And, yep. and there's no one more important for us to make room for than our Savior. Amen. And this is what really, Debbie, lies at the heart of this gospel. When we hear the words, this is a baptism of repentance. Mm. Because this is a baptism of inner purity. It is about making room in the interior life for Christ so that we are then disposed and so that we can then enter into that new freedom, that new exodus. The word repentance itself in the Greek, uh, metanoia, is a word that you would see in the Old Testament. It is this turn away from sin and at once a movement towards Christ. Okay, And that turning away and movement towards is what we call contrition and resolution. Right? So it's always a twofold thing. Repentance is always a twofold thing. Contrition and resolution. Two very important words when we give our act of contrition, right? Mm-hmm. We can be very sorry for our sins, but if we do not express, Debbie, in words, our resolve to change, that when I leave this confessional, I'm resolved to change this habit of vice that has seemingly overwhelmed me. Mm-hmm. To leave that confessional and say, Jesus, you now are the King of Kings and you reign in my heart. I have made room for you in my heart. Uh, This is what it's about. And so, yeah, John is preparing the way. He wants us to see that uh, 
we cannot receive the fullness of the gift if the home is not prepared. And this really is the quintessential point. And it can never be overstated, the value of what we're talking about now, because it is what lies at the heart of our sacramental life, the sacrament of confession for sure. But also, lest we forget that uh, we offer up a prayer of exorcism during Mass, right? Mm -hmm. A a prayer that has us praying and asking for God's grace that we might uh, be more contrite and more resolved. Um, And that's usually when you're dealing with the more venial sin, lesser sin. But nonetheless, this is, Debbie, what lies at the heart of our sacramental church. Yeah, it is not an accident that folks are coming out and and acknowledge their sins Mm -hmm. verbally, out loud. What do you mean, to a priest? Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where do we see that in Scripture? Yeah. Um, Unless the junk is out. The living water can't come in. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to kind of trudge the sewer in order for the clean and living water come in. And and th- this image of John in the in the river Jordan, and you gave some just beautiful analogies about the healing that happened all throughout Scripture in the Jordan River. Yeah, and it's, it's very important because in the Old Testament, uh, we don't have all the time to get into it now, but just a couple mm-hmm. of pieces. We know that in the book of Joshua, the Israelites you know, had to pass through the Jordan River so as to inherit the promised land. And then, of course, we can take the figure of Naaman, that the Syrian Gentile who was healed of leprosy. Okay, the message is clear here. And that message is Jesus Christ has come for Gentile, Jew, Greek Mm -hmm. alike, huh? He has come for all people. And uh, certainly Mark wants us to see this. Mm -hmm. And this is what lies at the heart of Christ's message and why uh, John is preparing the way because we need to enter more deeply into this healing, this therapy, this conversion, really, this, this baptism. It's to remember, you know, when we talk about baptism, this is what the Church calls the first conversion. We find this in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. There is a second conversion. What is the second conversion? Well, the second conversion is every time that you enter into that metanoia, every time that you go to the sacrament of confession. The Church Fathers talk about this explicitly, and the Catechism and the the teachings of the Catholic Church have always held this teaching close to their heart. We see St. Augustine talk about his own conversions, and that last conversion of his was about that gradual transformation that he came to realize, wow, (laughs) I never will attain perfection you know, this side of the, the heavenly Jerusalem. This, this really is a 24-7 gig. And when we realize that, then we know that when we say we are saved, it, it is something that we have to say each and every day, lest we digress in sin, mm-hmm. uh, lest we think that we uh, don't have to be active, that we can just passively go through our day. Now, that is not what it's about. You know, we've been talking about St. Benedict Debbie. Uh, over the past few weeks, and he focuses in on this man and mission. Man and mission. Before you can understand the mission, you have to first understand the man, Jesus Christ, but in looking in the mirror, yourself. And when you put Jesus Christ in front of you, then you'll better understand yourself. And when you better understand yourself, then you're going to better understand your mission, right? And understanding self, that never ends. That never ends, you know? (laughs) I don't care if you're 15, if you're 25, if you're 45, or you're 65. It will never end. And this is an exciting thing. For St. Augustine, this is a very exciting thing. 
essentially that life is to be seen as a great adventure where amazing happens. To be Christian, to be Catholic, is to journey on this great adventure where the most incredible things happen. But again, if we're closed, if we're removed from Christ in our life, then it'll become a very boring thing to watch. And this is why Fulton Sheen says what he says about entering into this great adventure, that there's never been something that has been so attractive and alluring. And so it is. That adventure starts now, during this Advent season. The beauty, let it captivate you. Not in all of its ostentatious, succular, showy display. No, but in, in the beauty that is found in simplicity and all the grandeur that lies therein. What a paradox of our faith. I, I love this time of year. And, you know, there's a, I think there's a reason that we have the Feast of the Immaculate Conception in the middle here. Mm. This whole focus on purity. Mm. on um, And we have the, the image of Jesus coming as a baby. Pure purity. The most innocent purity. And um, how many times does he give us that example of being childlike and and coming to him as a child. And I think this feast and this this period of preparation is to help us become more childlike, mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. childlike with Jesus. Amen. Um, it, it's a beautiful thing to prepare and, and to continue to purify. And so, you know, yes, confession's just that, that beautiful step in our steps of purity mm-hmm. and childlike. Be, uh, being little... Um, being humble. And Debbie, Debbie, as we talked about probably two and a half months ago, when we were translating some Greek there, uh, being infant-like. Mm-hmm. Remember I me? Mean, being mm-hmm. being infant. Mm-hmm. Um, so dependent upon God, even like that of, of the infant to the mother's breast. That mm-hmm. kind of closeness, of, of, of intimacy, of encounter. For, for many of us, that is a difficult thing because of that capital sin of pride. Sure. It just gets in the way. And certainly this is why humility is one of, if not the greatest virtue, sure. because it defends us against that pride. And it's a fascinating thing. If you get the chance to go uh, to Mass as much as you are able to, you'll see as, you, as we go through the readings that this really does emerge as... Um, a pretty important theme, a really mm-hmm. central theme to uh, this season of preparation. Uh, and, you know, someone had asked me yesterday, Debbie, so Joe, I heard you talk about gratitude last week, you know, and I, I heard you talk about um, being grateful and how we are called to enter into seeing other and, and all their needs and what this means for this time of preparation. But what about the gift itself? I mean, does this mean that um, we should steer away from from buying gifts? And I thought, well, no, not at all. Because when we're present to the other person, this we, we soon realize that we want to constantly do something for them or give something to them. Sure. Um, but the real folly comes in expectation. Not the expectation that, you know, Debbie, um, I've come home from work. It's 5.15. I expect dinner to be made. or not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the folly of, of expectation that says you must. Mm-hmm. This is what has happened today in, in 2014. I, I put up a blog the other day and I was reflecting upon this. You know, I walked into Costco 
on November 1st, and a fascinating thing happened. Suddenly, I felt like it was Christmas time on November 1st. <laughs> and I was in Costco just a few days before that, and all I could see, as far as the eye could see, was you know, costumes and candy Halloween. and Halloween. And you know, it's like, well, what, what happened to all of these other holidays? What happened to Thanksgiving? It's like a game of checkers. You know, you just kind of jump this holiday. Mm-hmm. And as I was noting in, in that blog and as I, as I was reflecting with it is, you know, we have this expectation that we're going to receive certain things or that we have to give essentially before we've had the chance to reflect upon what the season of giving is all about the tidal wave of supply and demand has for all intents and purposes uh, kind of predetermined that the general sentiment is not about asking and giving but the announcement of rights and their satisfaction by means of of organized associations and again the danger here is that buying gifts has turned into something mechanical where we operate like robots in our shopping because we've been thrust into this system that tells us we need to buy gifts. We have all been programmed to sync up our gift buying on certain days such as Black Friday and Cyber Monday. We have to be careful of falling into that trap where we feel entitled to a gift or, or buying something only because we must. You right. know, there's just no Very meaning. rote. Yeah. 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 yeah and, and beholden almost. Yeah. And, so, and this is the danger of <laughs> taking this season out of its context mm-hmm. and, and on the flip side, really take the essence of what this season is all about, the great gift, and flipping it upside down, inverting it um, from its true meaning. We spend so much time buying gifts that we don't actually incorporate ourselves into the gift itself. And, and this is just a dangerous thing. And so we have these readings that uh, keep us focused, mm-hmm. you know, keep us on the straight and narrow so that as we move towards December uh, 25th, we are actually doing what we are supposed to be doing, preparing the heart. You know, we look at the season of Lent and there are certain words that are tied to that. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving, doing. We don't always tie those words to, to Advent, and we probably should. Yeah. Because we do those things to prepare our hearts, okay? Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Absolutely. There really isn't any difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as I said during Lent this past year, because Lent is over, it doesn't mean we stop doing all of those things, those pillars of Lent. No, it means hopefully we've done them enough that they're now habitual. Mm-hmm. And the same with Advent. Right. Prepare our hearts for the, for the incoming of Christ and uh, continue to do what you were doing so that Christ continues to reign in your heart. Prepare your hearts, folks. You'll Amen. Never, you'll never be sorry you did. Dig a little deeper this year than maybe you did last year. Maybe if it's just as you're purchasing a present that you really enter into prayer for that person. Mm. You know, attach that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Even, you know, just attach prayer to whatever you're doing. Mm. And praying for those as you're preparing food, pray for those who have no food. Maybe, you know, as you're wrapping presents, pray for those who don't have the funds to do that. All those little things help us to purify and get back to the true meaning of what this preparation time is all about. Amen, Deb. That's a strong close. Let's wrap up in prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 
and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.